Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and, and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good morning, Rest Church. It would not be Rest Church without at least one Sunday in the, in the spring summer of absolute misery and heat during service. Um, no, unfortunately, it got uh, cold enough last night that the boiler kicked on. Um, and then got warm enough uh, in the uh, day yesterday that it kept all the heat in this room. So, yeah, we're sorry. It will get cooler as the sermon goes. Luckily for you, um, I planned out what text to preach this week, and it doesn't have 45 verses like Adam and Johan and John did to me. <sighs> So we won't be having an hour-long message today. Amen to that. Um, and also, man, my voice, I'm not sure it could handle uh, uh, doing a super long message. Uh, yesterday, uh, I coach. I coach Little League Wrestling. And um, let's just say screaming at the top of your lungs for about five straight hours at four to about 11-year-olds well, you know what happens to your voice at that point. So um, I, I am glad for us to be entering into this particular sermon series that we're about to go in. And as we're going to continue on, you know, we exposited through First Timothy in our series um, basically uh, fight the fight. And now we're going we're gonna to move, we're going to shift into 2 Timothy where we're going to talk about finishing the fight. And a few years have passed since 1 Timothy's writing, since the letter was delivered from Paul to Timothy. And during this time, Paul, you know, he's been, he's been arrested, he's been um, released, and now he's been re-arrested. And, and uh, this particular letter is also called a prison letter. Say prison letter. And, and um, this particular instance where Paul is re-arrested is different than all the other times of Paul's incarceration. And, and the reason why it is fundamentally different, it is because Nero is now the emperor of Rome. And if you've spent much time um, in, in rest church, you've heard me speak at great lengths about Nero and about the problems that the church faced under the rule of Nero. Nero would actually throw parties and would take Christians. He would impel them onto a stake. He would tar them and then use them as the matches that would light his parties. This is fundamentally how Nero thought 
about Christians. He despised and hated them. And Paul, understanding the time around who is in leadership of Rome, even though that he himself is a Roman citizen, he understands that this time is different. And therefore, as we look at this pastoral letter the, of the three, first, second, Timothy, or two, and the third one is Titus, this one has a fundamentally different tone because it is much more personal. Why, why might it be more personal? It's because uh, Paul knew that this prison stint was different. He knew that this was the end of his life. Therefore, he writes to fortify Timothy with a very personal touch, with a, a very sincere, direct communication. That, that he might fortify Timothy, that he would continue on the, the apostolic tradition, that he would continue on planting churches, and most importantly, that he would continue on discipling people within the church. Because the church is more than a, group of people coming together an ecclesiastical body like this to hear an orator speak a message fundamentally the church is has been and will continue to only be sustained through one-on-one one-on-three discipleship programs where we invest our lives in one to another we see this carried out. You'll see this tradition, this thought, this mindset um, um, discussed in this particular letter. In the face of certain death, what we do pick up, what we glean from this letter, is that Paul's depth of devotion for the gospel work is undeniable. Paul isn't worried about his own circumstances other than being cold. He says at one point, hey, uh, Timothy, uh, come check me out. Bring my big jacket because it's cold down in the dungeon. But other than that, we see that this, this depth of, of sincere servitude to Christ Jesus as Lord. We see this, this depth of sincere servitude to those whom he has pastored, those whom he has shepherded, that he would write to them, that he would fortify them, that in the days when he will leave this earth, that they will continue on the gospel-centered work. And so for the next 17 weeks, we're going to embark on a deep dive of this book where I believe that we will be challenged by Paul's push on and push through in the face of difficulty. Paul's letter to Timothy, it offers a treasure trove of encouragement and practical gospel-centered advice. So I hope over the coming weeks you will join as we listen to Paul pour his heart out to Timothy. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we are going to read the first seven verses. And if you are hot at some point today, I think there are fans back there somewhere. You know, the funeral home fans, I call them. All right, let's, uh, let's dive right in. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. 
to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as, I, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, as I see you, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray, church. Father, Lord, I, I come this morning and I ask for your mercy. Ask for your grace, for your guidance. Lord, for boldness to proclaim your your gospel. For boldness to proclaim your goodness and your steadfastness. Lord, in this time, I pray, God, that you would blow a spirit of, uh, of coolness upon us. That, God, that we wouldn't be reminded of um, the sweat on our brow or the uncomfortableness of our seat. That, Lord, that we would um, savor your word. That we would enjoy the beauties of your word. This is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see Paul open this letter just very similar to most of the letters that are Pauline in nature. He, He starts off, Paul... It's me, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The opening of 2 Timothy follows the same pattern as all these other letters. He he starts by writing, hey, this is me, and this is my office from which he is writing. This is done on purpose. He, He writes with not just his name, but his office on purpose. And, and that's because This office of apostle means that his words are not to be taken lightly. His words are to not be taken like we would a a fortune teller on um, the corner of Bourbon Street in New Orleans. If you've ever spent much time in Jackson Square um, in New Orleans, what you will find is there are fortune tellers everywhere. And I mean everywhere. Hey, I, I can tell you your latest fortune. And, and, and even if you were dumb enough to go pay for them to read your fortune on your hand, you would go, yeah, that was a waste of money, right? And so when Paul says, Paul, an apostle, he's essentially saying, hey, what I am saying should be heard. Listen closely. Listen in Intently, almost like Jesus would say, behold, or very, very, verily, I say unto you. He's saying to his listeners, check out, listen closely. Paul is an apostle. This term or this office is very specific in nature. 
An apostle designates someone who has been specifically called by Jesus and has received teaching directly from Jesus. That's why we here at Rest Church, we hold firmly to the fact that we believe that the office of apostle is closed. That no one here on earth today can be an apostle because they have not been directly called by the audible voice of Jesus and have not received teaching from the audible voice of Jesus like Paul did on the road to Damascus. Therefore Paul's words carry a very specific weight. He is speaking as a representative of God likened to that of the Old Testament prophets. And so when he speaks he's saying hear unto you the word of the Lord. And so he Opens the word, just as he does with almost every Pauline letter. Paul, me, an apostle, speaking on behalf of Christ Jesus, my Lord. But with a little bit of difference in flavor. Almost like that, um, you know, during the fall time, everybody goes to Starbucks for that pumpkin spice latte. Paul gives us a little pumpkin spice latte here in this particular opening. Notice notice what, what's being said there. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, same kind of sequence as always, but according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. According to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. As Paul awaited death, he knew that there was promise of life for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel gives us life because at the heart of the message of the gospel is a man. And it is Jesus who himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That, that, that through him that we could have life and not just life, but we could have it more abundantly. That he is the source of not just life in this earth, but he is the source of life eternally. And that's why the apostle John goes on to say, in 1 John 5, 12, the one who has the Son has what, church? Life. Later on in this chapter, next week, Johan will cover this. He says, Paul, he goes on to say about, about um, Jesus, he goes, if you'll go ahead and click to that next slide for me, 2 Timothy 1.10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Church, let's read this together. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the what? Gospel. While man may have been seeking to take the life of Paul. While Nero might have been in waging his war and one of his, one of his um, um, victims of his war against Christianity just so happened to be the Apostle Paul. While he might have been waging that war against him, Paul wanted to underscore that through Christ Jesus there is promise beyond this bag of bones that we carry here on this earth. That our hope is not found right here. Our hope is not found in our circumstances. Our hope is not found in how fast our heart beats or whether our blood sugar is right or not. Our hope is not found and whether we have cancer or not we have victory whether all that happens or not because we have Jesus 
The anchor of our hope as a Christ follower is not found in this life, church, but in the one who gives eternal life. And so, verse 2 to Timothy, my beloved child. Paul and Timothy's relationship, as we discussed many times, it runs deep. They've spent much time together, and Paul considered Timothy like a son. From the point of his conversion on one of um, Paul's missionary journeys to Lystra, we see that, that, that Timothy takes a liking to Paul, and he matures rapidly, quickly becoming on one of um, uh, Paul's subsequent missionary journeys back through, becomes Paul's protege. Paul would send him out multiple times alongside of him and then alone to preach to multiple different churches who Paul had planted. Eventually, Paul would send him out to be the chief shepherd of one of the greatest and most powerhouse churches in all of the New Testament church at Ephesus. Their bond cannot be mistaken. It was strong. And this letter right here, it bears witness to the, to the um, uh, strength and the love and the compassion that they have for one another. And so that's why he, he, he's coming to him and he's, he's, he's giving him this blessing of grace and mercy and peace be upon him. You know, I don't know about you, but man, any person who's, who, who, who comes up to me and they're like, grace and peace be upon you, it's weird, right? But you're also like, okay, yeah. Right? Can I get an amen to that? So maybe, maybe tomorrow when you go to work, that, that coworker who you don't like very much, don't act like that doesn't happen for you. But that coworker, you walk up to them and you're like, grace and peace be to you. And they're going to be so freaked out. They're going to go back to their office or they're going to go to the workstation and be like, what just happened? And the whole time they're going to be like, that was really weird. Grace and peace? And the whole time, they're going to be thinking about grace and peace, man. That's a gospel conversation. My beloved child. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Just as a parent does, Paul spends considerable amount of time saying thank you, God, for the relationship that he has with his spiritual son, Timothy. I know every night, and I'll try not to bring out the waterworks because you know me, I'm soft. Every night when I pray with my boys, I pray over my boys by first starting thanking God for them. Thanking God for bringing them into my life and thanking God for, the, for the, um, the responsibility of shepherding them as my children. And, 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 I, and I picked that up from Paul here. He, he spends time daily praying and thanking God for the relationship that he has with Timothy. But more than anything, in verse 3, something is compelling. It, it jumps off the page at me. It, it brings a stark reminder to any particular reader who would read this, is that prayer is a habit. Right, right. He says here, he says, I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and what? 
day. We are either in the habit, church, of praying, or we are either in the habit of not praying. There's no real middle ground to that. It's either we are in the habit of constantly going to the Father for our prayers and for our supplications, or we are in the habit of avoiding. Now, now you might not be consciously outside of the habit. You might not be consciously going, I don't feel like praying today. I don't feel like doing that. Because if we were all being honest, and if you agree, give me an amen. If we were all being honest, we would like to spend more time in prayer than what we do. So what Paul, what I pick up from this, what I glean is, is that if we, if we were remembering constantly in our prayer, it is a habit. Therefore, because it's a habit in Paul's life, it is easy for him to pray for Timothy. I want you to think about that. If you create the habit in your life of going to the Father, of having intercessory prayer, intercessory prayer, it is much easier for you to not lie when you say, I'll pray for you. Because it's just an outflow of your being. I've got a photo that I want to put up here. We need to treat, we need to stop treating prayer like it's a phone booth. Most of us treat prayer as if we got to go find a phone booth somewhere. A, a place to be quiet on a busy street. Where we can shut the door, right? Where we can, where we can be alone. And, and, and not just where we can be alone but where we have to follow the exact said sequence in order to get the desired result. You know, I gotta have the right amount of money. You know, used to it was 25 cents when, when I was a young kid to make a, a call on a payphone. And, and then you would go, you know, it was easy. We all had quarters, right? But then Bell South thought they would be funny and make it 35 cents. And it wasn't like 35 cents, like as in you could do a quarter and, and maybe two five pieces or, or a quarter and maybe 10 pennies, but it was like a quarter and a dime, right? And so like you would walk in, how many of you were like me, you walked into the first time when they made that change and you were in like, I don't get enough money. And you were angry. You were angry. That's why I think so many phones you found where it was ripped off and the cord was just dangling. But that's how we, we treat our prayer is that we have to follow this exact sequence. We have to have the right amount of money and hope to goodness we don't hit the wrong phone number. Right? We treat our prayer where we have to be in this very prescriptive place alone. Now there is a time and a place to be alone for prayer. But we treat it as if that's the only way we can pray. And, and that we have to follow the exact sequence where, where maybe, maybe your exact sequence and I'm going to make fun of you and, and you just take it in stride here, okay? Oh, Father, dear Father, mighty Father, 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 Lord, 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 dear Jesus, 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 Lord, help me, God, Father, 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 right? It, it, I do that sometimes. But what happens is, is that leads us to a place where we feel like we can't go to the Father. 
It leads us to a place where we say, I have to follow this prescription or it's not prayer. And that's not the picture that we pick up from the New Testament writers. In fact, they tell us to be in constant intercessory prayer. You can't be constantly going, oh, Father, my Father, my Father, in your daily cadence. But what we can do is we can open up with a mind and a heart that is gleaning towards Christ and saying, Lord, I need you. Oh, God, I need you. Every day when you go to, you need to go to that meeting, you need to make that presentation, you can say, Father, I know that you are my strength. I know that I can go in the hope of your goodness. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. God, I've got this through you. See, that's the kind of conversations we need to treat our prayer life more like our conversations with our spouse. Maybe you need to text God every now and then. You don't necessarily need a whole conversation, but you need to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I need you. I don't know. My my wife's my boo. She's just not my wife. She's my boo. Sometimes I text her in the middle of the day, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Men, don't tell me about my man card. But sometimes I'm like, boo, I just want to cuddle. Right? Like, let's turn the air conditioner down. I just want to cuddle. It's been a long day. We need, to, we need to see that that's how we develop a habit of prayer, is that we don't make it where it's this long prescription to get there. He just wants us there in communication with him. We need to see prayer more like a rhythm and less like a ritual if we want to have prayer-filled lives. We need to see prayer more like a rhythm and less like a ritual if we want to have prayer-filled lives, church. Verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. In the dungeon of this Roman prison, Paul is looking forward to family and fellowship prior to leaving this, work, this earth. The gospel work has got um, to keep, has kept them separated this time as during this imprisonment. As, um, as Paul, they, they say that Paul even went as far west and as far south as as the lower peninsula of Spain before he came back and was arrested again and then put to death. But what we see is that the gospel work has kept the family separated. And he says, I am longing to see you. I can't wait to be with you, Timothy, because it will bring me joy. I don't know about you, if you've ever spent much time away from your family, but I know what it's like to have spent almost a year away from my family. <clears throat> and I remember that the, the first time that I got to see my parents, when we moved out west and we lived out west, um, Ezekiel had been born. Ezekiel was about, ah, I think it was like four months old. And I remember the first time that my parents got to see me and my son. The joy that filled our hearts was palpable. In fact, I'm not sure we said a word for the first five minutes. We cried, and we cried, and we cried. 
And we were filled with this overwhelming sense of joy. And, and Paul knows that that's going to be the case. And that's why he says, I long to see you, Timothy. And what we'll see at the end of this book is that Timothy is one of the very, very faithful few who had stuck around in support of Paul. Paul had been completely alienated at this point in his ministry. And so he has a desperate sense of longing to have a gospel chat with Oh, Tim. And as absence makes the heart grow fond, we typically remember our beautiful memories. Verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells as well. It appears that Timothy had a special sense of faith, a special sense of being a steady hand in believing in God. Now there's a little quirks there with Timothy. We'll get to that in a minute. But he is reminded of that faith. And, and he's reminded the fact that Timothy rapidly became a force of the faith due to his unwavering faith in Christ Jesus. But as Paul points out, this trait of faithfulness was passed down from generation to generation. And parents, I, I, want you to, I want you to hear me out. I want you to listen very, very closely. Grandparents, I want you to hear me. I want you to listen up very closely. Mom and dad, your influence when it comes to matters of the faith is undeniable. Much of what makes our kids who they are and who they will become as adults is not what they hear us say. Hear this, parents. It's not what they hear us say. but what they see us do. See, many parents who, who love Jesus have made their kids hate church because they have projected or preached Jesus on them and have lived like hell at home. It's very important to be in church when the doors are open, but man, we can dog cuss each other and throw stuff across the kitchen because we love hard and fight hard. That's the dumbest, most satanic, stupid thing you can say. There's no such thing. Our kids need to see us be Christ followers more than they need to hear us say that we are Christ followers. If they see us be patient, in times of chaos, they will embody that trait. If they choose relationships over the need to always be right, they will have healthier friendships and healthier marriages. If they see us be faithful when it appears that we're down for the count, they too will know what it means to finish well. Josh McDowell says this, we do not develop habits of genuine love automatically. We learn by watching effective role models, most specifically by observing how our parents express love day in and day out. I have another quote that's unknown that I really like. 
It's not a parent's responsibility to make sure they have godly children. It's a parent's responsibility to make sure their children have godly parents. It is clear that discipleship began early in Timothy's life. Every single one of you, if you're a mother, if you're a father, if you are, if you are a, um, um, a bonus mom or a bonus dad, if you are a grandmother or a grandfather, you are a disciple maker. What you say, how that you treat them, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your other children, how you treat your brothers and sisters, how you respond to conflict in the workplace, how you respond to everything in life is a testimony that your kids will hold on to forever. I'm currently right now reading a book about raising strong sons. And the author of this book, she's a psychiatrist, and she says, it's nothing new. For every one negative thing that we say to our kids or we do to our kids, we need seven positive things to counteract that. Because we fixate on the negative and forget the positive. And so today, if you can make one effort if, you can, if I can challenge you in one place when you go home, speak encouragement, speak love, speak, speak beautiful, awesome things that may seem over the top, but make it a habit in your life to encourage your kids. Because what we see is that through the ministry of Lois and Eunice, it rubbed off on Timothy where he would become an encourager much like them, where he would be faithful just like them. Your influence cannot be overstated, parents. Verse six. For this I remind you to fan in to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, I remind you. I remind you. He's writing to an adult. He's saying, I remind you. How many of you need to be reminded of things from time to time? Right? Like every, every day, my wife's like, hey, the clothes hamper. She's like, you took all that effort to get it here, but I need it like 12 more inches and six inches to the side here. I, I need reminded and just like I have to remind her, like when you pull into the garage, like you have to pull in at a specific angle, otherwise our cars will hit each other, right? Like sometimes I, I, I'll like come home and she's in the dead center of the garage and I'm like, I drive a 1500 Silverado, it ain't fitting in that thing, right? We need reminded. We need reminded, and so he's saying this to Timothy, which means he has said this to him before. It is something they have discussed before in their time together. We need reinforcement, even as adults, especially when it comes to dealing with ourselves. We need someone to say, hey, I know you got this, but man, I just want to tell you, you need to do it like this. For Timothy, it seemed this reminder was specifically, um, especially needed with Paul's days being numbered. 
If you consider, if you consider the, the context of First and Second Timothy, um, what we find is Timothy wasn't necessarily a spiritual rock. And you're like, oh, no, wait a second, he's the pastor of Ephesus. Well, pastors have problems. He appeared to be physically weak. 1 Timothy 5.23. He appeared to be um, personally timid, as we see here in verse 7. And he was relatively young, 1 Timothy 4.12. Timothy might not have been the package of being a spiritual rock, but, but God loves using the weak and the ordinary to demonstrate his power. He likes to, he likes to equip the call and not call the equip because he uses the weak to confound the wise. And that's what we see in the life of Timothy. Though he might have been faithful, that doesn't mean that he was a fiery preacher or pastor. He might have been a faithful, steady hand, but that means that maybe he went through seasons of being timid. And that's why we have the imagery here of what Paul uses is so perfect. He says to fan into flame the fire, to bring the embers back to life. And if you've ever spent much time around a fire, and Rock Hornet's going to give me an amen, fire's tendency is to go out. So that means you got to work the fire. I remember when I lived in Colorado, and, and I lived in the mountains. We lived at 8,100 feet, and it got cold. And I don't just mean cold, I mean like negative 40 one night cold. Dumb cold. And, and, and one summer, I mean one summer, one winter, we, we burned through a cord of wood. We, we bore, just burned a tremendous amount of wood for heat. And, and, and every morning I would come in to, um, I would wake up early specifically to get the fire going again. And as I would walk into the room um, where kind of was like an entryway that blew into our living room, whatever, as I would walk into that room, I would pray to God every morning, and I kid you not, this is not an exaggeration, please let the embers still be let. Please let the embers still be going, right? Because it's so much easier to get those embers to burn and to create the next flame, the next big fire, than it is to start a whole new fire again. Right? And so what Timothy is hearing from Paul is this exact same thing. Is that he's asking Timothy to fan the embers of his life back into a flame. To fan it back into a fire. He's saying, get back to using the gift that has been given to you. What this gift is, we don't specifically know. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But what we know is that through some sort of commissioning, during the laying on of hands of Paul, he was imparted, he was given some specific spiritual gift used and necessary for gospel work. And this is a personalized reminder that God has equipped him to use that gift in order to expand the borders of the kingdom of heaven and in the same way is that not us God has gifted you uniquely you you might you might sit there and go oh no he hasn't I'm telling you God has given you a gift to reach people that no one else in this room can and he is asking you this morning to take that funeral home fan out and to whack those embers and say let's get this baby raging Let's get this fire going again because he has equipped 
you for his purpose. He has equipped you to broaden the borders of the kingdom of heaven. He has equipped you to encourage and to fortify the church. He has equipped you to admonish those who are in a wayward, backslidden state and to say to them with grace, love, and humility, God wants you back home. We have over-professionalized the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Wherein we are called to go make disciples of all nations. And what I mean by we have over-professionalized it, man, we have left it to the pastors, to the preachers, to the deacons, to the elders. And that is not the picture that we get in the New Testament. It is not for the professionals. It is not meant for us to be the only ones to go visit the sick, to to take care of the orphans, to take care of the widowed. It is not just for us to be the ones to go evangelize because the truth is, is you have a key that I do not. There are people who will let you speak truth into their life that would not dare hear the things I say. Just because at the end of my name, Or at the beginning of my name, it might say reverend or pastor. They don't want to hear a thing I got to say. Even though I think I'm kind of cool. In a very lame dad way. That's my weight loss buddy there. We too, like Timothy, have been fooled into believing we are not enough. Our gift is not ready, and our time has not yet come. Knowing that Timothy is dealing with this need to fortify the church in Ephesus, to confront those who are speaking heresy in the church, We'll see this later on. Knowing that this is the instructions or the things that Timothy is supposed to do, this is what he says next. Very pertinent, very beautiful words. For God gave us a spirit not of what church? Let's say that again. For God gave us a spirit not of? But of power and love and self-control. It all comes into focus right here. Timothy's shyness and weakness per Paul does not come from God. Fear to use our God-given talents is not an outflow of the Holy Spirit. Fear to be who God has called you to be uniquely for him is not from the Holy Spirit. Boldness, not cowardice, is the mark of the Spirit's work in believers. Boldness, not cowardice, is the mark of the Spirit's work in believers. We all, excuse me, we all have to fight back our fear and this is something that Paul faced in his life too. It wasn't like Paul was speaking from this place of, hey, Timothy, I need you to be stronger. And Paul's never faced that. No, Paul's speaking from a place that he knew all too well. As he himself planted the church in Corinth, the Lord appeared to him with a vision. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 18, 9 through 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be what? Speak out. 
don't be silent for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you for many people in this city belong to where? Me. He, 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 he's saying to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Paul knows this all too well. And he knows that Timothy is wrestling with this, with this proclivity to cower back in these moments. Or and maybe, maybe, maybe Timothy's speaking, but he's not speaking loud enough. Right? Like, if you go downstairs to the our kids' room, and you just use your inside voice, those kids are going to bully you. Right? Our, our kids' workers are like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you don't go in and go, okay, little boys and girls. This is what we're going to do today. No, you walk in, you're like, hey, sit down. We're going to have fun today because I said so. Maybe not like that, but. But there are times and seasons in our life where maybe we're, we're using our voice but we're afraid to project it. And it appears that both Paul and Timothy understand that God has called them to speak out in these very particular seasons. They understand the, the call of what's going on. And, and, and Jesus is saying directly through a vision to Paul, hey, I'm with you, don't be silent. And Paul through the work of the Holy Spirit is saying that to Timothy. He's saying, hey, don't be afraid. This is not a spirit that comes from the Lord. Fear is not from the Lord, but it is power, love, and self-control. The Lord tells Paul to fight his fear with what, church? His promises. He promises to be with him, to protect him, and to use him to bring people into the kingdom of God. Now Paul is telling Timothy to do the same Thing. He's essentially saying this. Check this out. I'm going to distill this down. Timothy, in your fear, remember that God is with you, in you, and for you. His spirit produces the power you need to endure and the love you need to minister. Be disciplined. Be diligent. Be brave. For God is with you. This is for us to church. In the face of our fears, we fight back our fears with the very word of God. We stand on the promises of Christ our King when we feel alone. His word tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am your strong tower, your ever help present in a time of need. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have cast your sins as far as the east stretches to the west. I know your name. We stand on the promises of Christ our King. God's calling on your life is the same as it was for Paul's and the same as it was for Timothy. It is irrevocable. Each and every one of us in the kingdom of God have been gifted to reach people that no one else can reach. Therefore, let us this morning fan into flame the gift that God has equipped you with and to go 
use it in boldness because your fear to say it's not time yet I'm not ready I need to find the right place the right position before I can do it I'm telling you that's not from heaven he says get on the battle line and let's go use your gift God has given us everything that we need. The Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are ours. As Paul says in Romans, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. If he be for us, then no one can be against us. As the Israelite people were beginning to prepare to go into the promised land, they were fighting this fear, this cowardice in their own lives. And these beautiful and eloquent words are spoken in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. While we might not be going to fight against the Philistines. While we might not be going to take the city of Ai or to walk around the walls of Jericho like the Israelite people went on to do, we are called to walk around the walls of our heart of the sin that holds us back from being where we're supposed to be to follow the calling that God has put on our lives. We are called to go conquer our fears in an effort to fulfill the Great Commission, to go make disciples of every land and every tribe and every tongue. Baptize them to expand the borders of heaven here on earth. So this morning, as I think about the practicality of this message, as I think about the sincerity of what's being written to Timothy by Paul, I can't help but look at this and glean that God's calling us to not take a first step, but to use what we have already been given. So, 
that quote that I, that I kind of brought up earlier that I said, hey, I'm gonna distill this down. This is what, this is what I feel like Paul's saying in a, in a greater essence to Timothy as he deals with his fears to use his voice as the main teacher, as the main elder there in Ephesus. I, I, want, you to, I want you to think about it like this. I, I, want you to, I want you to put this in your head. Adam, he, he's saying to you this morning, in your fear, remember that God is with you. He is for you. He is in you. His spirit produces power that you need to endure, to love, to minister. Be disciplined. Be diligent. Be brave for God is with you. Milton and, and Miss Virginia, he's saying to you, you don't fear. Remember that I am with you. I am for you. I am in you. His spirit produces power that you need to endure in this season, to love, to minister. Be disciplined. Be vigilant. Be brave for God is with you. Miss Rebecca, he's saying the same thing to you. Murray, he's calling you and he's saying, be disciplined, be diligent and be disciplined for me. Use the gift that I have given you. 